and welcome to episode four of the After the Ninth podcast, your insider Chuck Wagon podcast. I'm Cass Patterson here with Dayton Sutherland. And when I say here with, I'm actually in person. How are you doing, Dayton? Great, Cass. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, so I guess let's start off with last weekend. Uh, we joked about you, you know, defending your title, but you ended up actually going and doing just that. What was that like? Um, it was different than most of the other shows, or, or I shouldn't say most of the other shows, like, um, you know, that I've been competitive at and whatnot, uh, only for the reason because I actually thought that I was, I wholeheartedly believed that I was going to uh, win this one after you actually put it in my head, like, I don't know, three, four days before. And I kind of, I don't can't remember if I said it on the other podcast, I said it in uh, another podcast. Uh, piece of media that I did um, that uh, it just kind of looked really similar to last year um, and just being that um, you know I was in uh, the first seat this year I was in the second last year um, horses were just starting to come together finally which is seems to be a, a reoccurring uh, theme in my barn something I probably have to tackle so I can get them working um, earlier on in the year but that's beside the, besides the point um, yeah, I don't know. It just uh, the, the the track gives the advantage to the early heat. Um, everything just seemed to um, be really familiar. So um, I bored a couple horses of Dad's, uh, a lead team on the three four barrel. Uh, one horse um, I broke actually the first year he was running. Then Dad took him back, and he's had him for about two years. And then uh, yeah, I got to use that horse again. So it was fun driving him. Uh, he's gotten a lot better. Uh, than when I had them, that's for sure. Um, that's something horses just do. They get better and better. So, uh, yeah, and then I used an old horse of Grandpa's uh, that, that he had his last year running. And, uh, yeah, the rest were mine. And, uh, um, yeah, no, it just they worked good for me. They worked better than they have all year. So things came together, and, and uh, uh, we ran away with it. So last podcast, you kind of hardcore threw yourself under the bus on uh, outriding and, you know, making mistakes. What was last weekend like as an outrider, I guess? Do you need to throw yourself under the bus again? No, we, we didn't have any trouble last weekend, I don't think. Um, one cool thing that did happen is... is uh, um, Brendan Nolan, when we were running, um, I, I think it was, I was on the three barrel the first night, or maybe no, it was the second night, sorry, on a horse named Chase and my dad's. I have to use all my dad's outriding horses because I didn't have any sh in shape, obviously, uh, because there's no um, outriding horses on the WCA, so I didn't have any. I had to use this horse of dad's named Chase, and uh, Brendan Nolan was riding him, and he seems to turn really tight around the barrel, and he actually happened to knock the barrel, and as Brendan was going around it, he caught it with his hand, on top of the horse and stood it back up and uh, and uh, made it out clean. So um, that was pretty cool. That's the closest thing we came to a penalty all week, myself or my outriders. And uh, yeah, had he not done that, we wouldn't have got the, the brass at the end of the four days. So uh, that was pretty cool. But yeah, other than that, it was uh, smooth sailing. Perfect. Sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, I guess moving now on to our interview with a well-known name in Chuck Wagon Racing. Um, I'll let you introduce him since you know him better than I do. Yeah, this week uh, we got uh, Les McIntyre. Um, he's a friend of mine and a friend of my family's for a long time. Uh, he's been in the game uh, for, geez, I don't know how many years. He said it on the podcast many times. I just have horrible memories. So, um, yeah, no, uh, it was great talking to Les and uh, hope you guys enjoy it. All right, so now we're on the line with uh, track announcer Les McIntyre. Les, how are you doing today? I'm doing awesome, Dayton. How are you? Good, thank you. 
Are you uh, you're doing the Lloyd Finals right now? Are you not? Yes, I am. I'm up in Lloyd, and it's kind of breezy and cloudy here today, but a uh, little bit of rain overnight, but shouldn't damper anything too much. How many nights of uh, racing you guys done? Just the one or two? Uh, we've got five nights in total up here, and uh, the finals on Sunday afternoon. Oh, right on, right on. Les, um, what so is... Sorry, Dayton. Uh, Les, what is it like uh, you announce on both uh, the WPCA and the CPCA what is the difference in, uh, I guess, the racing in the two uh, different associations? Well, it's a brain test for me because I sometimes get a little lazy perhaps when I do the WPCA because I, I think this is my 34th year. So it kind of comes, uh, you know, I can recognize everybody at any given moment. And uh, when I come to the Canadian Pro Association, a uh, different group of guys, and uh, they do things a little differently over here. I mean, a wagon race is a wagon race, but just in the way they deliver things like running times, um, there are, I think, 23 wagons over here. So in order to make up a full show, three or four or five guys run a wagon two and a wagon one. They're 18 and they're B wagon. So it's a little different situation. Uh, for me, the biggest change probably is uh, – the different names and the recognition of the drivers on the track. Um, I mean, when I'm watching WPCA races, it, I could do it in the dark. I, as long as I could see a form, I could recognize somebody. Uh, you get to have a photographic memory really quick in this business. So it's a, it's a little different format. Um, I like the fact that I can do both because when I get to the Calgary Stampede, it makes it much easier up there. Uh, just for that reason, you're a little more relaxed with what's going on on the track and in the infield kind of thing. Absolutely. Well, Les, you said uh, that you've been doing this for 34 years. Uh, what like year did you start announcing then? And uh, like what got you into uh, you know wagon racing with the WPCA and track announcing and stuff like that? Like uh, you do do some rodeo uh, events, which I'm not sure if everybody knows as well. And you used to do auctioneering, is that right? Yes, I still combine the three, Dayton. I uh, got started, uh, well, I went to school with a guy named Ross Nelson. Ross is a couple of years younger than me, and he was working with Ole Willard, who would have been friends with your great-grandpa, Max Sutherland. And uh, they had racehorses all the time, the Willards, and Ross was over there training colts and riding colts. And, and then... Uh, Ward Willard got into the business in 72 or 73 and Ross kind of got me interested in helping him out with a few things. And then uh, about in 74, 75, I used to help him out a lot in the summertime and uh, working horses and, you know, the kind of things you do when you start at ground zero in the chuck wagon business. So I've come from mucking stalls and brushing horses and training out riding horses and wagon horses to where I'm at. But I think in uh, Ross Nelson was a very accomplished driver and uh, a very good cowboy. And he and I knew each other through that association. And we started, uh, I started traveling with Ross and Ward in about 1975, actually going to shows. And uh, my interest in truck wagon racing probably began when I was, you know, a, uh, in my six, seven, eight, nine, ten years of age, I used to listen to Iris Glass and Joe Carberry and Lauren Ball cover the chuck wagons at the 
Calgary Stampede back in the late 60s, early 70s. Uh, well, the late 60s, I should say. I was born in 54, so it always impressed me. Uh, got, we got to go to the Calgary Stampede one or two days a year. We lived 100 miles southeast of Calgary, still do. And I got to go to the Calgary Stampede. And that, uh, when I was just a kid, I thought in the back of my mind, as probably you did and everybody else does, someday I want to be a part of the Calgary Stampede. I want to be a cowboy or chuck wagon driver, rodeo, whatever. Right. Growing up on a farm, we rode lots. And uh, I always used to go down behind the barns and play outrider and play wagon driver and all that kind of thing. But when fast forward to 77, 78, when I started traveling with Ross and Ward, um, Ross was a very good horseman, and you know, not to take anything from what Ward accomplished, but a lot of his success was probably due to Ross's skills as a trainer and a horseman, and uh, they let me get involved more in driving, and I did a little bit of that in 81, 82, 83, and then uh, I got hurt in 83, and I thought, there's two things that I don't have to be a successful chuck wagon driver. Uh, Number one was probably a big enough heart. (laughs) My fear factor rose when I had a wreck, and you right. had a pretty good backing and a pretty good bank account, and I had too many irons in the fire to just drop the world and go focus on wagon driving as much as I wanted to. I went to auction school in 1985 down in Billings, Montana, and uh, was already involved in the auction business with Frank McAdam, the auctions at Vulcan. And when I got out of auction school in 85, wasn't it? I think, yeah. That was the year that Ward Willard had decided to invite everybody down early in the spring before the season started and put on a little training show, wagon race show, and he got some sponsors and uh, some people behind the game. I always remember Jerry Jeff Walker's band showing up, and I actually called my first chuck wagon race off of Jerry Jeff Walker's sound system on stage at Willard's place. Wow. And at the time, I'd been... Uh, Ross and Ward had both retired from wagon racing. And at the time, I was traveling a little bit with uh, Richard Cosgrave and Tom Glass, and I got that under my belt. That I think that was in 1980. You know, I think it was in 1984, actually, spring of 84. There was a guy there named Ken Anderson from Troshu, who at that time was kind of in charge of all the racetracks in Alberta, the B-tracks, you know, the Troshus, the High Rivers, and stuff like that. And I always remember he phoned me in um, the spring of 84, right after we did that little warm-up show at Wards, which would have been in probably early May. Two weeks later in the May long weekend, our first show at that time of the year was in Troshu. And I think, I don't know whether you've ever been to Troshu, Dayton, but your dad and your grandpa certainly were. And it was a little half-mile flat corner track. And they had horse races in the afternoon and wagons at night. And Ken Anderson said, I hear you want to do horse race, or wagon races. And I hadn't really thought about it much at that point. I did that little show at Willard that time just because everybody thought I could. I was an auctioneer, so I should be able to do it. Talk on a mic. And, yeah, exactly. So I told, I just kind of stepped out of my comfort zone and said to Ken, yeah, sure, I'll come up and do your wagon races, not having a clue what I was doing, basically. Well, about four days after that, he phoned me and he said, you know, Joe Carberry doesn't really want to travel out here anymore. Joe had been doing the wagons and the horse races there for years, as he had done in Calgary. And he said, "Would you? can you do horse races? Well, I lied through my teeth and I said, oh, yeah, beat the cake. I can do horse races. He said, okay, you might as well come up and do the horse races, too. <laughs> 
So I remember the next morning, it was towards the weekend, I jumped in my truck and headed for Calgary and uh, got up high on that grandstand. And for three days, I sat there and studied what Joe Carberry did calling horse races so that when I did get to Trochu on the May long weekend, I was doing the horse races and the wagon races. And I'm pretty sure, Dayton, the first time you crawled in a wagon box race, your stomach was in a knot like all of us were the first time out. Absolutely. Well, multiply that by 10 when they threw a microphone in my face and said, call these horse races. <laughs> yeah. That was my first time. And, oh, I don't think I ate as much for two days. But anyway, that's where it got started. And the following year, um, I had the High River Committee phone me. And uh, funny story, too. And we were in Hobima, I think, later that fall. And we were... I had wrecked my back in 83 with the wagons and I, so that would have been the fall of 84. I was still kind of crippled up and I was standing down in the infield with Tom Dorchester and a well-known radio TV personality whose name I won't mention was up in the stand in um, Hobima looking down on the track calling the chuck wagon races. Tom Dorchester said to one of the guys from the County Agriplex, he said, who is that guy? He's terrible. And, uh, they told him, and Tom turned to me and looked at me, and he said to the Pandy Agriplex man, he said, get this kid up there. He's way better than him. So they fired him that night, and I was up there the next night. Wow. <laughs> Away we went, and then uh, High River in 85, Toshu in 85, High River in 85, Kobima. I think I did three or four shows that year, and then it just took off from there. So I was very fortunate to have the background in the – business and be able to have the right connections and people helping me out getting there and you know I mean in the early days in those days there was a different announcer in every town depending on who the local radio personality was or the local auctioneer or whatever right so I think um, I seen an opportunity to maybe bring a little consistency to the sport and have the same guy everywhere and uh, I don't even remember what year I started in Pinoca but that was probably 25 years ago was the the last of the show that I got where I completed the whole entire tour and got all the shows. And then of course took over from Joe in 2009, I think it was somewhere there. So I've been very fortunate. I mean, I got as gifted me with a voice and enough brain cells to get me by. So it's, it's been really good Dayton. I've enjoyed it. It's, it's cool for me because I watched, um, Ralph Egan and your dad and your grandpa I said that backwards. Ralph Egan and your grandpa and your dad. And now to get into your generation, for me, it's a, it's cool. I love it. Well, that's kind of what I want to ask you about a little bit later. But first, just want to backtrack. Like, I heard of quite a few stories about those uh, those uh, races um, at Ward's uh, place, because that was actually at his farm, was it not? Yes, that's correct. In the early 80s there, uh, 82, 83, he, I think it was 83 or 84 that he got the track complete and uh, hosted this. It was sponsored by Child Find Alberta at that time, which was a missing child organization, and all the funds raised went to their operation. And I can't even remember how many wagons were there. I know I had... uh, drove a spare wagon for Richard in 83 that year before, and that's when I had my wreck out at Hamtills and broke my back. Uh, I think actually it was Doyle Mulaney and Ralph Egan that were in the race with me. And uh, so the next year, Richard was driving that same outfit. <laughs> I told him when he 
goes to the top barrel, you really got to hold that lead team off because they'll duck on you. And I think he hit the number one barrel, and I actually swore on the microphone. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> and, oh, crap, he hit the one barrel. <laughs> yeah. So that was a long, long time ago, and hopefully I've improved a little bit since then. But Those must have been some wild, wild times, hey, like like that long ago, especially at kind of like an impromptu uh, race meet at, at Ward's Farms. I just, I've heard uh, stories and stories and stories about, well, actually from my grandpa mostly about, you know, what times were like back then. You know, it was, I guess we always, regardless of what we're talking about, look back at what we call the good old days. And at the time you're thinking, you know, where they, we didn't appreciate that it was the good old days. There was probably a lot less pressure on drivers and outriders then. While there, there there was a lot less pressure and driver on outriders and drivers then, a lot less pressure because of the fact that, you know, they weren't racing for a hundred thousand or a truck or qualifications for this or that. But the guys were able to have a little more fun. The WPCA, as we know it today, was formed in 1981. Well, prior to that, back in the 70s, we I mean, it was redneckville. Anything goes when the whistle blows. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> there was no alcohol and regulation back then. There was no drugs that I was aware of. But, I mean, there was a little whiskey flowing before race time. And uh, yeah. a lot of them old boys, I always remember, and uh, neither of these old boys were driving, but I always remember getting up early in the morning with Ross and doing chores and going over to his dad's camper and Ronnie Glasses being there at 6 o'clock in the morning, and they'd be – playing crib and talking wagons and they'd start their day on a glass of whiskey and ice and play cards all day until race time. But yeah, it was, that was kind of the end of that era. When I come along in the mid seventies, you know, the, it was a little more controlled and a little more less wild. Um, but there were still a few, I mean, today we settle things through protests and we settle things through rules and regulations. And I was still around at the day when and your grandpa and your uncle Kirk would well know that, if there was a dispute, you went out behind the barn and the guy that walked back won the, won the dispute pretty much. Right. So, yeah, right. there was a lot of respect for guys in the sport then. And fortunately, it's come to where it is today. And, I mean, we've taken the – and, I mean, your grandpa is hugely responsible for that. We've taken this sport to the level where it deserves to be in the, on the stage of professional sports in the world. Uh, we're lacking in money, of course. We can't compare ourselves to the PBR, but it's the same kind of a style of sport and marketing. Yeah, that should be marketed that way. Whereas a rodeo fan or a wagon racing fan, I can come to a show, park my camper, pay my or pay my uh, you know uh, ticket fees and whatnot. But I get to see the same guys four or five days in a row, and the tour concept gets me to keep track of who's doing what, who's doing where, and it's it's a it's a marketable sport because of that. We are a group. We go to the show. We're there for the duration. And they roll on where, you know, in the radio business, it's a different world. It's just right. harder to market because of the amount of contestants. And from a fan's perspective, it's a fast, exciting sport, similar to bull riding, the PBR. And uh, I think we can do a better job than what we are. We've got a lot higher to climb yet as far as marketing. And marketing involves not only selling it to the fans. I think, to me, marketing has to involve uh, getting fresh new sponsorship money and upping the ante. You know, we should be running for a quarter of a million dollars in some places. And, you know, it's that's the only way you're going to get the sport better. Because as you well know, Dayton, the better sponsor you've got, the better horses you can buy. The well, better horses that, you can buy, the better you're going to compete and attract more sponsors. It's a big old wagon wheel. 
you start winning races, you get better sponsors. You get better sponsors, you get better horses, and it's just a big old circle. Well, that's the thing, too, is people talk about, uh, you know, um, like when the, when everything was happening in Calgary and people were talking bad about wagon racing and stuff and uh, talking about, uh, you know, how the horses are, are mistreated uh, and, and, and just all this stuff. And, I mean, uh, one thing you always said is, you know, if you die, you want to come back and be a chuck wagon horse. You know what I mean? Just because they're looked after yes. so well. And they yes. and they want to be, um, um, you know, they want to be racing all the time. The thoroughbred racers, we know that. I don't need to tell you that, you know. Um, and one thing that that always uh, come to my mind is is these horses are are getting a second crack at life. Obviously, we make that argument all the time. And uh, and more money in the sport would only uh, increase that tenfold, especially if we got, you know, the the sponsorship and the viewership and uh, and the uh, that type of thing um, up to where where I mean, you or I believe it should be um so what i'm trying to say is is that what you think the sport needs like you like how would uh how would you improve the sport if you could because i feel like everybody um you know wagon driver outrider fan uh you know, anybody who's uh, passionate about the sport feels like um there's definitely some uh, moving forward that needs to happen absolutely and i mean there's a different way to look at this the angle that i look at it and i laughed when you said i always make the comment if i'm allowed to come back on this earth yeah, you bet. I want to be Dayton Sutherland's left lead horse or Luke Turnier's right wheel horse or right. Mark Sutherland's lead team because, my goodness, yeah, think about it. You work three minutes a night, three, four nights a week. You get picked yeah. out for nine months of the year. <laughs> yeah. That's a better job. There's no government <laughs> job that good. But seriously, if you want Not- to look at it the way I like to look at it, Dayton, we are the largest horse rescue society in Western Canada and probably the world. Right. We take seven, eight hundred thoroughbreds a year whose race career is over at five, six, seven, eight years of age. And we give them something to do for another 10, 15 years. Yeah. And how many of your grandpa's old wagon horses are running out in the trees up there at Grand Prairie enjoying life? You know, that's not the case for 99 point. That's not the case for 90. I don't know the numbers. I'm just throwing a number. It's not the case for 95% of the racehorses that are raised and uh, run in North America. Right, right. Yeah, they have quite a quite a bit of a darker fate. That's that's no doubt about it. And uh, not to mention, these horses they they like to run. They like to compete. And I don't know what it is about the training or or the sport or or how we're able to run them uh, so much more often um, than say a racehorse. I believe it's because there's nobody on their back, and you can't force a horse to do anything, especially if it's a timed event. I mean, you're trying to run as fast as you can. Um, and the other thing too is is uh, you know we'll race horses that are twenty some years old or 20 years old 18 or right around that area it's usually at the, the end of the career for the chuck wagon and uh, we can use those horses in the barrels um, just because they'll give it to you in the barrels will get you out that much more clean and then the other three can pack the load around the track you know what I mean Logan Gorse uh, we we've kind of repetitive on this but he talked about his 17 year old uh, left leader Canadian Idol who he won Calgary with this year I mean that horse 10 years ago his career was done on the track you know what I mean so um, and just it just baffles me um, that way that uh, that uh, people just don't understand. You know, people on horses are very similar. You take a guy that is 65 years old, said, okay, here's your gold watch, goodbye. What's he going to do? He's going to go sit on the couch and watch baseball, football, hockey, chuck wagon racing, whatever. 
sitting on that couch, he's going backwards. You take that racehorse that's done at seven years old, kick him out on the pasture if he's lucky. If not, he enters the food chain in Europe and France and Japan. But take that horse, kick him out in your pasture. He won't live as long as the horse that you are out riding or driving just for the exercise factor alone. They're getting fed extremely well. They're getting exercised. And every doctor in the world will tell you, get off your couch, put your iPad down, get out there and go walk five miles a day, ride a bike or run. Of course you're going to live longer. It's no different than horses. You said a very important statement, Dayton. You cannot make a human being, an animal, do anything they don't want to against their will. Right. And I've said the story in the rodeo world. I've said it on the mic at a rodeo. When people say, you're making these horses buck, think about it. When God created the horse, he gave him protection on the ground. He can kick his predators. He can bite his predators. He can run from his predators. That's his three areas of protection and survival. The one spot that he can't protect is right in the center of his back on his withers. So when you take a bucking horse and put a saddle on him and a rider on him, the only way that he can get rid of that quote-unquote predator is to buck him off. You take a saddle horse that I've spent months, years training to accept me on his back and do the things that we want him to do, and there again, they won't do it if they don't want to. It's the same in the in the horse business. You cannot make a horse do that. That's instinct. That's as natural as it can be. These thoroughbred horses, horses are creatures of flight. You turn 30 horses, I don't care whether they're thoroughbreds, perchance, quarter horses, whatever. You turn a herd of horses into a field and throw in a grizzly bear and a mountain lion. What are they going to do? They're going to run in a group. That's their protection. The colts will be in the middle. The mares will be on the outside. The stout horse will be herding everything and chasing predators away. It's the same in this racehorse business and in the wagon business. You watch, and I know you've been on a few. Them wagons have left, and you're trying to get your outriding horse to the top barrel. Do you know why he's not going? Instinct tells him to get his butt out there and get with the herd. He don't yeah. care about turning barrels and missing barrels. He wants to leave the infield and get with his buddies and run with them, and they love to run. Yeah. And if you took all those thoroughbred horses in an open area where they could run for 50 miles, they would run for 50 miles. Exactly. I say that all the time. Like the first thing you do is turn out, you know, a thoroughbred racehorse. So like we got a quarter section where we turn our uh, horses out for the winter with a bunch of trees and stuff. First thing they do is run end end and probably a few times and they get everyone else rowdied up and, and, uh, and all the other horses start running with them. And, and like you say, it's just one big pack and you can just tell their, their tails are in the air, their ears are up, their heads are perked. You know, they just feel so good. It's just, it's what they want to do. You know, they're born to run. You bet you. Cass, did you have a question? Yeah, I did. Uh, One of the cool things I think I've always admired less is, especially during Stampede, you try to educate everyone um, that's in that grandstand about track wagon racing. You try to explain to them what's going on and kind of like you break it down to basically track wagon 101. But in incidences where, you know, there is a horse that goes down or a wreck, you, you really try to work with the people that are there so they understand kind of what's going on and don't say take to social media and cause, um, not cause, but I guess kind of like 
start talking about stuff that they don't know what's going on there. How does that, as an announcer, like what kind of goes through your mind in those instances? Well, I've been in that instance and I've been in that situation. And I guess that's why I think that I'm successful in a way as a track announcer, because I've been on that seat. I've taken the dirt in the face. I've taken the odd rock in the kneecap and the odd horseshoe that's whacked on my shoulder. So I've been down there in the dirt and I've had issues. So the third, first thing I need to do is just everybody take a deep breath and be calm. It's not the end of the world here. Um, so get everybody under control of their emotions and social media is one of my, it annoys me at times. Yes. I realize it's very good, but just what you said, people blow up on social media that don't really know what they're talking about. If I were to go to the NASA space center with my cell phone and start taking pictures of things, I don't know what goes on down there. I don't, and I never will, but I do know what's going on with that horse and that, and how many times David, if I said, just be calm. He'll get up. He's embarrassed. He slipped. He stepped over his harness, whatever. You can tell just from being involved in the sport long enough that the situation is, is as bad as everybody wants to make it immediately. It's the end of the world. You know, it's not the end of the world. Just take your time. Let the right people down there deal with it. Don't send anybody in there that don't know what they're doing. And uh, if that situation is handled properly, 90% of the time, it's going to have a good outcome. 95% of the time, it's going to have a good outcome. I had, I learned a very important lesson from a guy named Bill Kaler, and uh, he was the premier rodeo announcer in Calgary for years. He grew up in radio in Manitoba. He came to Calgary. He grew up in radio on the old 960 <laughs> radio station. And he and I did a lot of shows together. And... Bill Kaler told me one time, he and I were doing, I think it was Morris, Manitoba, or it could have been Dawson Creek. We'd been there for four or five days, and he and I were having breakfast. And he said, McIntyre, I want you to think about this. Tonight, when you start this show, you're used to doing the same thing every night, and it's we all try not to keep it the redundant, recorded thing that we do every night. He said, every night, you set your mindset on the fact that this is a whole new crowd. These people have never seen this before, and you are their first contact with the sport. So I tried to maintain that mindset, whether it's at the Calgary Stampede, at the Grand Prairie Stampede, at Medicine Hat Exhibition. I'm playing to, in my mind, I'm playing to a new group every night. People that have never been there before in my life, in their life, rather. And I think that helped keep it fresh. And when it comes to a situation in Calgary where we have an incident, yeah, let's just keep calm. And here's the way it really is, not the way social media or the press is telling you it is. Here's the straight facts. I, uh, Does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, it does, actually. That's uh, that, that's really insightful. And I, I guess that 100% uh, answers what I was wondering. Um. You kind of touched on it there, Les. Uh, I'm sure it must get, like, slightly repetitive just because you've watched uh, so many wagon races and stuff. And uh, it, for me, it, it makes the race so much more um, exciting and intriguing. And, uh, you know, when, when it's a real, real tight race, like, say, like, even recently when, you know, Kurt and Vern are, are battling it out and, uh, you know, two top guys in the world and their brothers-in-law and there's history there. And it's, it's just, like, everything, like, a wagon fan could uh, – like could get right into, you know, 
Um, so like what, what types of things, you know, keeps you excited during the race? Cause sometimes when you're announcing, it just sounds like you get, you know, that much more into it versus when it's, you know, like, a you know, train of wagons or whatever, like what, what types of things, uh, you know, make you want to keep doing this? Um, I love watching the horses. Okay. I still, although I haven't drove a wagon for a few years, the last time I drove a wagon was with. Tom Glass in the practice in Calgary one day, and I hadn't, I hadn't done it for five or six years prior to that, or more probably, and I remember going out with Tom on the track and just taking them through their practice turn and blowing them out to the third quarter, and the next day I couldn't move, I couldn't, I couldn't get out of bed, I was all jammed up. So I still remember what it's like to pull into those barrels, the tension, feel the horses, the pressure, the horn, all that stuff is alive in me, alive and well. So I still have that passion. And, right. you know, I've said many times, and not to discount any sportscasters in the world, but I've always said, if you've never been involved in that sport at any level, don't grab a microphone and tell us about it, because to me, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And so I'm, I think I'm fortunate that way is because every time we, I get the same butterflies, more or less, or I get stall walking before a show, just the same as you guys do when you're hooking and getting ready to go to the track. Right. And I need to bring that to life every night. And so whether it's heat number one and they're all strung out like a freight train, I still think it's exciting. Whether it's heat number nine and four guys are coming across the track and Brown and Kirk and Logan are all snuggled in their home stretch, to me it's just as exciting. Right. So, and you know, the other thing that excites me is guys like you. Because to me, there's not enough guys like you coming into this sport. And the coolest thing for me in Dawson Creek was to watch you compared to where you were three, four years ago when I thought, Dayton, maybe you should probably get a job in the oil patch. <laughs> and yeah. to watch how far you've come. And I'm, I mean, Kelly and I are really proud of my Kelly, my wife Kelly, not your grandpa Kelly. Right. We're proud of what you've accomplished. And that's what, to me, gives me that much more excitement and incentive. Because when I watched you in Dawson Creek, and win and then come in and wind up 16th in the aggregate after three or four days. And then last night you get day money in, in Rocky. I thought, really, this is what this sport needs. You know, this sport needed your grandpa to take it from where it was to where it is. Just like boxing had Muhammad Ali to take it from where it was to where it was 10 years ago. Right. Just like Gretzky and, and I'm pardon my ignorance in hockey, but just like Gretzky and Lemieux and all those guys and the modern day guys, the McDavid's and whatever, to take it where it is now. You're that next group, the Logan Gorsts, um, you know, the young guys coming up and getting it done. And that keeps me going. And doggone it, when you've raced for 30 years, Dayton and won Calgary three times, I still want to be the track announcer, okay? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I was going to kind of ask you that, like, do, do, is there young guys, you know, right now? And the two I had written down were, for example, was uh, Logan Gorst and Chance Egan. Like, do those types of guys um, get you excited? Like for me, uh, I, it, 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 it excites me when I see Logan Gorst, uh, you know, win the Calgary Stampede or, or Chance Egan have a day money run or whatever. Like some of these younger, you know, 
20 year olds to 30 year olds to, you know, um, and, and, you know, back in the day that used to be a little bit of an older driver, but nowadays that's, that's a pretty young driver, you know, um, like do those types of guys, um, you know, get you excited about for where the wagon racing is going the same way that say, you know, my grandpa or Reg Johnstone or those types of guys, um, were when they were young. Absolutely. I remember specifically Ronnie Glass, Tom Glass's dad, Jason's grandpa, telling me 30, 40 years ago. His quote was, it should probably take you 20 years to win the Calgary Stampede. And back then he was right. Your grandpa come along proved him wrong. Gary Dorchester proved him wrong. Some of the other guys proved him wrong. But that's how different wagon racing is today. And when we were in Calgary this summer and we got down to the semifinal rounds, any eight guys could have won the Stampede. And as we go into next year and next season, and I mean, look at your top 15 or top 12 guys rather going into Century Downs. Uh, there's names in there that haven't been there. Yeah. And it's a matter of time before Kirk Sutherland retires, Luke Turnier retires, names that have been there, done that. And Wayne Gretzky retired. Those guys retired. Who came up to replace them? You know, now we've got the next generation of guns, and that's you guys. And of course, to me, that's. That's a, that's a transmission that drives my interest big time because I called a race with your dad in it, or your grandpa in it, rather, and Ralph Egan in it. I drove with him. I called their races, and now I get to call Dayton Sutherland's race. And to me, that's <laughs> it's a sign that I'm getting to be an old friend, but to me, it's good for the sport because um, – I want to be doing this in 20 years when you've won three world titles and you've won X number of Calgary Stampedes and on and on and on. So that is so good for the sport, what you are doing, what Logan is doing, what Chance is doing, that uh, that's how a sport is maintained. And it's now up to, I think we've got a good group of guys coming in and it was good news to hear that we've got more guys coming to the runoff than we've had in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So we've, we've done our homework I would say on a scale of one to 10, the, the wagon families and the wagon group have done their homework in replacement and uh, sustaining the sport to about a mark of seven out of 10. I think we could do more and do better, but we can only do so much because it's a money driven thing. Right. We rely on the economy. The economy is driven by oil and agriculture and all the businesses that are related Oil and agriculture, and maybe I've got them backwards, I don't know, but oil and agriculture drive what any sport does in Western Canada. If hockey is suffering, it's because my business ain't doing good enough to spend the money to buy season tickets. Football, baseball, whatever. Rodeo chuck wagons, no different. Those two sports in themselves, rodeo and chuck wagon, are more reliant, in my mind, on our immediate Alberta oil and agricultural commodity or uh, oil and agricultural, you know, basis, because we rely on the support from people that are doing well in the oil industry, our ag industry. A lot of the people on our committees are involved in the ag industry in our smaller towns, not so much Calgary, but in our smaller centers that we need to keep wagon racing going. We need the small shows. 
we don't need to go outside of Alberta or in Saskatchewan or a little into BC. We don't need to go across the border. It's a lot easier to bring the fans to the races than it is to take the races to the fans. Cost too much money to go yeah. down south, down east. Let them come here. Put us on seven or eight or nine of the best tracks available. And you know what I'm talking about. We've got two really good tracks, and we've got some that are okay, and we've got some that, oh, why are we here? But we still need those smaller shows to keep us where we're at, to attract fans. And I think that's one, if I'm going to give social media anything, perhaps it is bringing newer, younger fans into the sport. But that's a two-sided coin because, and I'm getting off on a rant here, <laughs> but to me, that may be bringing in new fans. But where I get questions in my mind about social media and marketing, let's not put everything we do at a race show on social media and put it out there for free. We still need those people to come to town, buy the seats, so the committees we work with survive. Right. They make no money off of social media. That doesn't put anybody in the seats. Very seldom. I'd like to know the numbers. I'd like to know at IE, Pinocchio Stampede, uh, Grand Prairie, even Calgary, how many people now say, well, I'm not going to load up my family for and spend $200 and drive here and get a room and yada, yada, and watch Jeff Wagon Racing. We can do it off our cell phone, out in the tractor, out in the horse, out in the farm, wherever, in town. So let's be careful. Let's not give this sport away on social media and all the other things that are sending it out there for free. Because we need people to come to town and buy the seats and support the committees. If they don't have the support, and that's down since sponsorship is down, so we've got to make sure that we, you know, don't burn down the barn where you're feeding your horses. Uh, you're in Lloyd Minister right now for the CPCA finals, um, but uh, I don't know if you're okay trying to take a quick step over to the WPCA. Worlds are uh, going to be happening when we release this episode. Um, that top four, uh, it, I, I, I haven't seen much movement in it. Um, again, there is uh, Kurt. Uh, he's in that top four, as is Kirk and Vern and all those guys. Uh, what do you kind of see in that top four, and what do you kind of see going into Worlds next week? I guess it's going to depend on what's happening in Rocky this weekend. I see Jason has slipped to 14th and Chance is up in 13th. I forget who's on the bubble in 12. I just looked here a little while ago. But when we get to Century Downs, I guess it's going to depend on how their infield and track is put together, and hopefully it's fair for everybody. Um it's a tough competition. Don't ever ask me to pick a winner because I am the worst and I don't like to, to hex anybody. But if all plays out the way I like to see it play out um, without picking winners, um, this is probably going to be the most exciting year-end competition we've witnessed in a long time for the format and for, like Dayton said, the group of guys that are involved in that in that final 12. Um, I wouldn't want to be anywhere in that standings thinking that I am going to win this thing because nobody from Burn and Kurt on down should get in the mindset that this is going to be a cakewalk because it certainly won't be. You kind of touched on it, like uh, how exciting this is going to be. And, and we talked about it on the show before, uh, you know, what Century Downs is doing for the sport, you know, after uh, the whole invite thing um, to the big show there, uh, it, it kind of didn't really 
make a huge difference so much for the second half of the tour. You know, uh, guys would start laying back and start breaking horses for next year and stuff. And, and I mean, there's a few top guys that could win the world and whatnot, but it didn't really make that much of a difference. But um, this year, a shift that I saw was that uh, maybe guys, you know, didn't really want to run um, some of their best in Dawson, uh, partly because of the rainouts and stuff like that. But um, maybe also they only run their good hook there one night or they're only going to run their good hook uh, in Rocky one night or something like that, um, just because they want to keep their horses that much more fresh for the for the big show coming up. So I always thought, uh, or, or do, sorry, think that that's a, a great addition to the sport. Um, and what I'm trying to ask is, um, with this addition, uh, uh, you know, to the tour and stuff, do you think the sport is moving onward and upward? Do you think that um, we're going in good places? Do you like the direction that uh, Chuck Wagon Races is, is headed? I would have to say I do, but cautiously. Right. I think um, I don't know exactly what the next year or two is going to bring. I have a mindset where I would like to see it go. I think that as a wagon driver, you, in previous years, you did your shopping, you know what you've got this fall, you do your spring training, now you know where you've got to be this season. Now you've got, and you're grappling with a master at it, you cannot think four months down the road for this season. You have to think now two, three years down the road. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's how formats have changed um, Calgary Stampede, for instance, you know, you used to go eight, nine days and work for the finals. Now you go eight days in a semifinal, same in Pinocchio, four days in a semifinal. And the overall tour concept and the changes that have been made now will take training, buying, horse management, like you said, don't use up your A team two shows prior to the final, keep them fresh. That's right. I mean, you guys must lay awake at night thinking about that <laughs> because you have to now because Kurt's doing it. Kirk is doing it. Vern is doing it. Everybody that's up there is doing it. You have to do it. For sure. For sure. Well, and there's so much so much strategy that goes into it nowadays. Like, like are you going to keep your horses fresh? You know, how do they come out of the barns in the morning? Do they look fresh? Do they feel fresh? Uh, you know, are they, are they, you know, running around and stuff, not to mention, like we were talking about earlier, the track conditions, who you're hooked with, what barrel you have, what barrel you have on Monday, what barrel you have on, um, you know, Friday, like, like everything just plays into it. So it definitely is a interesting, um, you know, about all those little things that go into it. And that's something that we want to, well, that's kind of the reason why we started this podcast, because um, you know, I've said it to a, a few people that like, um, you know, Joe Rogan has a huge podcast right now, obviously, right? Probably the biggest in the world. And, yep. uh, and he's a um, uh, commentator for the UFC. And, uh, right. you know, when people are, are watching a UFC fight, I think uh, without Joe Rogan, they just see, um, you know, two naked, half naked dudes wrestling in a, in a ring. But <laughs> when Joe's commenting on it, you know, it's like, oh, well, look at his hand placement here. Look at this. Look at yeah. that. You know, he's going for exactly. this choke. He's doing that. And, and that's something that we want to bring the podcast. We want to bring more details uh, to the wagon industry and the, and the wagon world and let the fans know more of what's going on, how guys are moving their hands, how horses are working, um, that type of thing. And I think that's also what you do, too. And I, and I love when you do do it, like in a race. You talk about, oh, look at that horse and look at that, you know, how that outfit started and, and that type of thing. So um, I do love that. 
I got to tell you a story, and I'm, I'll use this as a, a stepping stone because, and I hope all 36 wagon drivers are listening to this. Early this spring, before we started in Grand Prairie, or maybe it was in Grand Prairie, I sent out a blanket email to every wagon driver on the WPCA tour. Send me your horse stories. If you're driving an equine award winner from last year tonight, send me a story. If you're driving a unique horse that come out of wherever with a unique history, send me your story so that I can use it on the track. Yeah. That started nine ratios ago or wherever we're at on our tour. I've had maybe four or five all year. Oh, really? Before we get into Calgary, I sent out the same blanket email. I texted Kim Carey in the CPCA, tell your guys to send me their emails. I got two responses all year, or all during Calgary Stampede. Um, so, I mean, if you've got a horse that's unique, we've got technology. Text me, email, send me the story so that I can use it at night, because I think that's what interests fans, too, just like you were saying about wrestling. Yeah. Watch that left lead horse. Watch him fold into that right lead horse and then pull him sideways left. And I, to me, that's a perfect left lead horse. Lean on that right guy at the top barrel and suck him off his feet at the bottom barrel. Stuff like that because I've been there. I know what they look like when they're coming out of the barrels. Watch a horse, a, a, a wheel horse, that backs up and pulls that collar halfway up his neck. And when that horn blows, you get bruises on the back of your thighs from when he hits the tongue. That yeah. kind of thing. You know, that makes, that's what makes the superstars. Watch a lead team coming down the home stretch. And you can almost read their mind. They're thinking like, dude, I'm going to outrun you. If we weren't tied together, I'd be a half a mile ahead of you, you know. Yeah. It's stuff like that. And it's horses are so fascinating. You can learn so much from watching horses walking around the corral, walking around the pasture, come into the barrels. They're, they're funny as heck because there's two or three guys that have a left lead horse that's curving his neck back looking at the crowd. And as a wagon driver, that's intimidating to me. Like, hey, pay attention. Look forward. Yeah. Watch that lead outrider. Don't be gawking around like a kid at his first party for crying out loud. Yeah. Stuff like that that I find humorous. And, and I, I wish I had more time to relate it. Or I have the advantage in Calgary of going over the replay. And that's where I have a lot of fun at the Calgary Stampede. Because once the finish line is crossed and the outriders are by, comment a bit. And then they've got the best camera crew in the world in Calgary. And and uh, Bruce Yost knows exactly what to pick up on that camera. He'll bring things to my attention by just showing it on the video screen that I, like when Mitch Pernier fell out of his wagon, I mm -hmm. was watching something other than Mitch that night. And when he played it up, I thought, holy crap, how could I have missed that? <laughs> Little yeah. stuff like that, you know. It's just, it's, there's so much going on down there and times four. And there's some amazing thoroughbred athletes out there that, we need to know more about and i think that's where i and i'm going to send that email out again when we get to century you know if you've got a unique horse down there that's a star tell me about him so that i can brag on him and i will generally speaking because dallas dorchester taught me this a long time ago don't brag on him too much in his practice turn but once he's won the heat then brag on him you can mention yeah. him i always remember in high river in about 1980 seven, eight, nine, whatever Dallas was at his peak. He had won High River five times. He came into the number one barrel. I was bragging on him, bragging on him, bragging on him. They blew the horn, and he hit everybody's barrel, including his own. 
wound up with 30 seconds in penalties. And he walked over to me after the races, and I thought, I'm going to die. <laughs> he said, don't ever brag on me again until I'm done. <laughs> yeah. So, and I speak, when you talk about calculating your horsepower, I think Dallas was one of the first guys. Shirley videoed every race. Dallas would spend his evenings and halfway through the night, if he was hooked with your graphic tomorrow, he'd watch all the videos of that week that Shirley had taken of Kelly and Ralph and Kirk or whoever he was going to be hooked with. He was the most calculating wagon driver in his day using technology that we had then, which was in big old bulky video cameras. And he would go and watch and study horses and watch his competition and watch his own horses. Now, why isn't that wheel horse keeping up with his partner? Or why isn't this lead horse turning evenly, you know? Try and figure out why. He was a master at that. And and you guys probably do that today because everybody's got a cell phone camera, so you can video. And I know your dad does. I, I've watched it. Yeah. And that's a that's a place where technology has improved the sport as well, and the proper use of technology has improved the sport as well. You know, it, it's interesting that you talked about uh, giving the horse stories because uh, we try to do that on uh, on the podcast. Um, we have, of course, Logan's Canadian Idol, which hopefully he's emailed you about. If not, let us know, and we'll send you the information <laughs> he told us. He is not. <laughs> um, but, I can uh, name the horses that have been sent to me. <laughs> but, yeah, that's to me, that's important. I mean... I spend a lot of time bragging on the sponsors and the driver, you know, this many wins, yada, 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 here's where we're at in the standings. But I also want to be able to have the time to say, there's Canadian Idol, and here's a superstar. That horse that Dayton's got on the right wheel has come off this track in such and such time, and he's won half a million dollars on the track. And he could not run his shadow on the track, but now he's winning the money. This kind of thing, you know, that to me, that's interesting. To me, the horses that have come from the track that are just horses, there were nobodies. And they, they, like I say, they were consistently seven and eight place runners. Now we've taken to the wagon business and they're on the leader, the pole of the winning outfit. We talked about extending these horses lives. Now we're going to make them superstars because they're good at what they do. To me, that's a cool story. If this horse was consistently in seventh and somebody, bought him off the track for $1,500, and now he's an $80,000 lead horse? Yay. Let's talk about it. Absolutely. Um, well, thank you so much for being with us. Is there anything else that, like, we haven't touched on? Uh, it's been an hour and a half, and I feel like we've covered a lot, but, I mean, I'm sure you could talk for hours on this stuff. I just think that, you know, there's a lot of time to get worried about where this sport is going because not only does this sport require a consistent committed group of wagon drivers and their wives and families, not only does it require a good economy with interested sponsors that want to support the sport and help their own cause through sponsorship, but more than anything, this sport requires a management team and a leadership team that's willing to step out and take it to where it needs to be. Period. I couldn't agree more. And that's something that even Grandpa mentioned on his interview, that, that uh, it, that's where 
the, the sports hurting as well as is, is structurally with with uh, drivers and unions and stuff like that and and how it's run and how it's managed uh you know we've always been kind of a uh or at least since i've been around kind of mom and pop shop you know what i mean like there's been lots of drivers on the board and stuff like that we kind of all do it um in-house but but to be like a true professional sport um, I definitely think we need to, and there's been really good guys, especially in the last few years. Um, and, and uh, you know, some of us fallen out of it, uh, you know, due to personal reasons or whatnot um, that are, that are wanting to, uh, you know, uh, bring the sport to the next level, really, really smart guys that have built uh, enormous companies and whatnot and done great things in their life. Um, you know, want to bring the sport up and, and bring it to the to the upper level, and and it's all about that that management and structural side of the things that a lot of people don't think about. But uh, I, I know there's a lot of people right there with you that uh, do agree that that uh, I think that's what the sport needs. It has to be run like a business, and it's never before been a tougher business to run, given that we are dependent on other businesses. Right. Committees are businesses. Sponsorships are businesses. We can't come into a business environment expecting to survive not being run like a business equal to those that we're dealing with. For sure. It's it's standard uh, uh, B2B uh, marketing and, and structuring and stuff like that. Absolutely. Um, there was a time when I always used to use a line when people asked me how things are going. And I said, well, you know, chuck wagon racing will survive in spite of itself. I don't think that holds true anymore. We've got too many people watching us, good, bad, or ugly. We've got too many, we got too much competition in the world of entertainment. Yeah. Whether it's social media, live, there's too many things teenage kids, late teenage kids can go see that are every bit as exciting or more exciting than chuck wagon racing. The Western world is being drawn away from our Western roots and our Western heritage by all those factors. We and rodeo have to be that much better at leadership in order to be able to survive in that now world market. We weren't a world market 20 years ago. We are on Facebook and Twitter and social media. We are now a world market. So we need to come up to a business level that allows us to survive in a world market. Absolutely, and and to be savvy enough with the uh, with the social media, like you said, there's there's uh, um, pros and cons to it. One pro that I do like is that you just said we are on a world platform now that the WPCA is streaming live on Facebook, and there's people talking, you know, from across the states, and eventually, I'm I'm assuming anywhere uh, Western culture has any interest, anybody, eventually we will reach those um, um, spots and locations. And uh, yeah, no, it it it'll definitely take. Uh, a small village, if not a small city, and I'll take this sport where it needs to go. Another cool, another cool part about social media was that Stampede Guy Fury was there, and um, they pulled him up on stage, and he used the analogy. He said, "This is the NASCAR of horse racing," and yes. that's what I thought was really cool. And then uh, I went on my Instagram a short while later, and he had shared that with his followers. And mm-hmm. he has like two million followers, if not more. Yes, exactly. That's how intimidating the world of marketing in professional sports is. And I mean, my wife watches his show constantly, his food show, his diners drive in and dive. Yeah, he's got a big following. And 
for that guy to come on stage and give us that exposure, we had better be ready to step up to the plate and live up to what he's bragged on us as being. Definitely will be keeping us on our toes. Um, Les, that was great. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. I knew I wanted to talk to you. Like when I decided to do the podcast ever, the first person I thought of was, was uh, Logan and Kurt. Um, you know, talk to the two of the top guys. And then uh, when me and Casper kind of brainstorming uh, right after we did the first one, seeing how it's going to kind of lay out, I thought, I want to talk to Les McIntyre because that guy has watched more wagon races than I think anybody ever has. Because, I mean, and, and, you know, there's been guys that have been around, like uh, I said that to my mom and uh, dad when we were having dinner the other night, and dad agreed with me. And mom said, well, I don't know, you know, grandpa's, or, you know, I say grandpa, Kelly's watched a lot of races in his life too. Well, mm, Kelly's been at a lot of race meets, but nobody's been there, you know, up in the grand or up in the stand, up in the bird's eye view, actually watching the races. And you have to watch them and calling them and uh, to see all these guys compete. So um, I'd love to have you on, and I'm sure Cass would too in the future as well, because uh, we could talk for hours about um, guys that we haven't even, you know, touched on, like you said, George Norman yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, so exactly. Uh, for sure. Thank you again to Les for joining us on the After the Ninth podcast. Uh, let's quickly talk about Century Downs here, Dayton. Uh, let's talk about, uh, I, it's a new show. It's brand new to the WPCA. Uh, what's the track like? Um, the track's really good. I, I, I was really happy with it. Um, I, you know, been on uh, um, some different tracks all year uh, compared to this one. This one's like uh, really, really high quality. You know, they have a, uh, you know, race horses here, flat races, they have standard breads. So um, there's no holes in these tracks, you know. Um, it's uh, it's a little bit heavy, I think, for a lot of guys liking, but that's just something that you're going to get with, uh, you know, a, a first-year show and whatnot. So, um, no, I'm, I'm happy with the tracks. There's no rocks, there's no holes. You can turn your horses loose. You can trust it. Um, so so it's it's been really good so far the first two days. So what you might not know about me, Dayton, I don't think we've ever talked about this, is I got to spend some time out here last year for standard bread racing because uh, you're not my first podcast. I uh, had a show called Horse Racing Central. So, I mean, I'm sorry you're not special anymore. <laughs> no way, no way. Yeah, I actually came out here last year too um, for the flat races. I was actually picking up a racehorse uh, for my cousin Mitch to become a chuck wagon horse. So, yeah, no, it's it's a great place. The barns are nice. Um, the, the you know, uh, facility here, like the, where the grandstand is and, and uh, stuff like that, it, it's really nice. They got big screens. It's a, it's a great place so far, and uh, I think it's just going to get better and better as years go on. Perfect. Well, I guess next weekend you'll be heading out to the runoff. Uh, we'll find out who's going to take those bottom six spots. Um, so how do you feel going there? And uh, kind of do you have a mindset there or you're right now focused on this? Um, no, I'm actually, you know, even uh, since Rocky, the, the reason I took the lead team from my dad uh, was to try him out for the runoff. Uh, so I didn't just kind of go into the runoff cold, um, you know, trying new horses or whatnot. Um, you know, so dad's going to use his good horses here. So so that's why I had to try him in Rocky and use him there. So I'll be using a couple, those two of dads again uh, during the runoff. And then uh, the rest will be mine. And uh, I just don't have enough horses uh, in my barn really to uh, to stay competitive uh, right now. I got a lot turned out at home and uh, they're on grass and stuff. I just didn't pack this year because I was going to, you know, break some new horses. So 
Um, long story short, the runoff's been the focus since I decided to come on back to the WPCA tour. That's actually why I did it. I think I said that uh, before. So, um, you know, we're just looking forward to next weekend, and, and I think we'll be tough. Um, there's a couple guys that I'm sure are going to outrun me, which will be Chance Benzmiller and, and uh, Chris Molly. You know, those guys are uh, top wagons in the CPCA. So um, besides those guys, I, I think I'll, I'll hang in there um, pretty consistent against everybody else. And, uh, yeah, just uh, stay clean, stay consistent, and uh, I'm sure I'll, I'll make, it make it out fine. And if I don't, uh, you know, it's probably going to be my fault, not the horses, because I got all the opportunity in the world. So. Uh, and that's the end of this week's After the Ninth podcast. Remember to subscribe and like. Comments are always welcome. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And we will see you guys next week. Thanks, guys. But that's a day in the country.